Thank you for downloading the IA podcast. You can listen to all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Enjoy. France effectively ended Scotland's Six Nations hopes and maintained their own Grand Slam ambitions, having glided past Scotland in their latest Six Nations match last week. But France is also making waves in the global economy, bouncing back from the COVID pandemic and beating many expectations. France's GDP was 0.9% higher in the fourth quarter of last year, compared with the same period in 2019 before the COVID-19 pandemic. This surpassed the UK and Germany's economic growth in the same period. But what explains this economic success? Is it the might of the French state, as some have suggested, or have the French begun to turn to more economically liberal policies to drive growth? With me to discuss this is Institute of Economic Affairs uh, economics fellow, Julian Jessup. Um, He recently wrote an article on this issue um, where he assessed why France is in some cases outperforming its competitors. Uh, a link to the article is included in the show notes. Uh, welcome, Julian. Uh, Julian, how is the French economy performing compared with the UK and others overall, um, both with like you know, GDP and inflation? Well, I think it's fair to say that the French economy has been one of the star performers in the recovery from the, the COVID pandemic. Um, if you look simply at the, the level of GDP, so the overall amount of activity in the economy, in the case of France, it was already about 1% above its pre-COVID level in the final quarter of last year. Uh, whereas in contrast, it's still about half a percent below that level in the UK and Italy. It was more than 1% below that level in Germany. And it's more than 4% below that level in Spain. So in terms of GDP, France has done pretty well. Uh, and also on in inflation, it, it's quite striking how France has consistently had the, the lowest inflation rate of um, any of the Eurozone countries, or indeed any country in the, in the Euro, in the European Union. So the, the latest numbers that came out recently, you know, uncomfortably high for France, but at 4.1% in February on the EU harmonised measure, that was you know, pretty low. Uh, in the UK, it's already 5.5% in, in January. We know it's going to be heading above 7%. And uh, and in the US, it's already 7.5%. So uh, face value, France has done really well. Strong economic growth and persistently low inflation. Um, what explains the good economic performance? I mean, in your article, you note that um, US economist Paul Krugman believed that the high levels of state intervention was pivotal for the COVID bounce back. Is there any truth in that? Well, first of all, I think it's worth saying that the performance does seem to be genuine and often you sort of look for statistical quirks and you know in fact they, they don't seem to be any major ones so uh, France in particular seems to be measuring uh, the output of the public sector in the same way as we do in the UK so there the doesn't seem to be anything funny in the data. Um, I think Krugman's actually got a got a point he's he's partially right um, the high levels of French state intervention in the economy uh, were probably a positive um, but arguably only in these particular circumstances. If, if, if you think about the particular type of shock that, that COVID is, it's a, it's a shock where the government had to step in or decided to step in and, and close down large parts of the market economy and intervene heavily to protect businesses and jobs. Now, 
Um, that's obviously a lot easier to do if you're already intervening heavily in the economy in the first place. So, you know, even before the, the pandemic, so in, in 2019, uh, French government spending was equivalent to about 55% of, of GDP, you know, easily the highest of any comparable economy. So um, the French economy was already dominated by the state in, in one way or another. So um, the state was relatively well placed to protect the economy uh, during this particular downturn. And um, similarly for other, we might call sort of largely state controlled economies like China. So China had a smaller hit than many other economies because the amount of state intervention in it. Um, there are a few more sort of slightly positive points you could make. Um, you know, uh, one is that you know the, the French civil service was, was probably particularly well geared up for this. I'm not necessarily a, a fan of the French civil service over the British civil service, but to the French civil service credit, it's dominated by a sort of technocratic elite who went to sort of top business schools and you know the the the, the NARCs who are, you know, went to the leading you know public sector business school in France, um, and they tend to have good relations, sort of almost interchangeable with former university mates who are now running businesses. So. Um, they, they were probably on, on top of some of these problems a bit quicker than our civil servants here. And, you know, as I sort of jokingly say, I think Dominic Cummings would have had far fewer problems getting things done if he'd been working at the Elysee rather than at number, number 10. Um, so there's, there's certainly, you know, some truth in, in what Krugman was, was saying. Um, but equally, I think there's nothing particularly, you know, Gallic about the, the French success. Um, well, at one point in particular, Krugman makes a, a big deal about the way that France protected employment um, by, you know, encouraging employers to keep people on their books by paying these big furlough subsidies, rather than in the US, where um, basically people were fired but paid more generous unemployment benefits. Uh, but lots of other countries went down the French route, including the UK with our massive furlough scheme, but others like Germany and Australia as well. Um, and if you're doing a straight comparison, ironically, between France and the US, at least on GDP, it's the US that's the, the strongest performer. You know, their GDP is already more than 3% above the pre-COVID level. So um, there, there are a few things that, that France did well, but I wouldn't necessarily draw any big longer term lessons from that. And um, I'd be interested to know, because um, obviously there's a uh, energy crisis going on at the moment. There has been for a while. I think lots of people have you know, turned their attention to that with the Ukraine-Russian crisis as well. Yeah. Um, how have France dealt with the energy crisis there? Um, you know, have they managed to shelter households from price rises? And, and, and if so, you know, how, how has that impacted the economy broadly? Are they doing things different to, to the mm. UK or are we on a very similar path? Well, you're, you're right there. I mean, the, the energy story is, is a key part of why French inflation has remained relatively low. It's not, not the only part. I mean, lots of other you know, parts of the economy where inflation is a lot lower than in the UK, but, but also there are often sectors where the, the state heavily intervenes. Um, as far as the energy crisis and, and France is concerned, first of all, they do have one natural advantage in that you know, France itself is actually a major energy exporter. You know, it's actually the, the most important energy exporter in in Western Europe, you know, more so even than, than Norway. Um, and that, that's partly because they have a big nuclear industry. Um, so they're importing nuclear generated electricity to uh, countries like the UK. So um, in that sense, they're, they're protected a bit from energy price shock because they themselves benefit from that. That's a very important factor. Um, the second point is the, the approach the French government has taken to um, the rise in wholesale energy prices. Um, 
you know, most countries across Europe have, have allowed at least some or, you know, significant part of those energy price increases to be passed on to consumers. Uh, France hasn't. It, it, it's capped increases in domestic bills at only sort of three or, or four percent. Um, now, that's obviously politically popular. It, it, it's meant that the inflation headline inflation rate is a lot lower than it would otherwise have been. Uh, but it, it's also very costly. It's, a, it, it's extremely expensive to the to the taxpayer, because uh, what it's basically doing is, is transferring the burden of higher energy prices from consumers to the general taxpayer. Um, now, it's not necessarily the, the most efficient way of doing that. I mean, that means that you're lowering energy bills for everybody, you know, even those people who can probably should be expected to pay higher energy bills. Um, it's also involved you know, various distortions in the market, in particular, uh, the French government has had to lean very heavily on EDF, you know, one of the, the, the big French energy companies, which is um, supposed to be part privatised, but still has a significant state shareholding. And lots of people have expressed concern about how the way France is using part privatised companies is essentially a, a political tool. So, yes, it's sort of it's held down headline inflation, but not necessarily in a particularly efficient or uh, or, or well-targeted way. Um, and of course, it, it, it doesn't protect the entire economy. Um, you know, at some point, other businesses will have to pay higher prices, even if consumers protected in the short term. So there's still some feed through coming through. Uh, and we're starting to see that actually the last couple of months where inflation, French inflation has picked up pretty sharply. Um, we're talking about inflation, and I think it's important to maybe, you know, look at fiscal monetary policy in, in, mm. in, in, in France. Um, you know, how how are the public finances looking? You know, France is a member of the EU. Um, it's, it, you know, trades in the euro. It has, you know, mm. its uh, interest rates are set by the uh, European Central Bank. Um, you know, how has membership of the European Union hindered the, the French recovery or has it actually helped? Yeah, well, first of all, as far as the French public finances are concerned, I mean, they, they are in a lot worse state than, than those in the UK, for example. I mean, it looks like the government is going to continue to be spending at least 50% of national income for the foreseeable future. And the, you know, some of the def demographic challenges that we're facing in the UK will be at least as large in, in France. So the, you know, the cost of paying for an, uh, supporting an aging population, uh, particularly in France, where the the, the pension benefit system is, is relatively generous. So there's a there's an even bigger fiscal time bomb ticking in France than there is in the in the UK, um, and and that's where membership of the euro is, is relevant. I mean, uh, you know, at least in the UK, we've we've got a our own free floating currency and our own independent central bank, which is sort of helpful for supporting uh, fiscal policy, but. France has obviously outsourced uh, monetary policy to the to the ECB, um, so it doesn't have as much control over over interest rates as it might otherwise have done. Um, and there's a general problem there across the across the eurozone because there's a huge divergence in in economic circumstances within the eurozone at the best of times, but particularly now. So, you know, there there are some countries in the eurozone that are already seeing you know, double digit inflation. Um, other countries, uh, you know, particularly. Spain are, are still far below pre-COVID levels of, of economic activity, um, and yet the European Central Bank is supposed to set the, the same interest rate and run the same policy of quantitative easing or quantitative tightening for all of them. Uh, and I think that that is a problem. Um, one consequence is probably that the, uh, the European Central Bank will be slower 
that it should be even slower than the Bank of England in tightening monetary policy in response to the inflate, rising inflation risks. And um, I think that will cause problems for, for all of the, the Eurozone, but uh, France included there. Um, going back to your article, uh, you suggest that um, a shift to a, and I quote, a more Anglo-Saxon liberalism can explain the strong mm. rebound that the French economy uh, seemingly has, has had. Um, what reforms have France actually adopted in recent years? Yes, it's, it, it's interesting. A lot of people, perhaps from the from from the left, will sort of point to France and say, "Look, they've been doing really well over the last few years." It's, this is a uh, an example of the benefits of a of a big state. And as I said, that that, that that's true insofar as the you know the the COVID shock is one that France was perhaps a bit better placed to uh, to deal with. But um, actually, in other respects, the the success of, of France is partly because France has been moving precisely in the direction of a more Anglo-Saxon um, liberal economy. Um, if you look at the, the detail of of why um, French GDP has performed better than UK GDP, um, one thing in particular that stands out is is business investment, which has you know, rebounded very strongly in France, but is still weak in the in the UK now. Um, there are a number of factors that explain the weakness on the on the UK side, including sort of continued Brexit uncertainty, as well as the uh, as well as the COVID shock. Um, and the good news is that those uncertainties are now lifting, and UK business investment looks like it's going to recover very strongly this year. Um, but there's no doubt over the last few years, uh, French business investment has benefited from the more sort of liberal policies introduced by President Macron when he took office in, in 2017. So um, he's made a few more serious efforts to uh, reform the, the pension and benefit system, uh, to remove some of the red tape holding back businesses. And actually, particularly on corporate taxes, um, you know, he had a plan to reduce the, the basic rate of corporate tax from you know, roughly 33% down to 25% over the course of his first term. So um, that's sending a clear signal to businesses that, you know, France is, is somewhere that is open for business and that they want to they want to attract businesses rather than deter them as many of their policies have done in the past. Do you think we should be concerned then, you know, about the UK losing its reputation as, you know, one of the Europe's most business friendly economies um, or, you know, I mean, France is still quite heavily unionised, like you mentioned before, mm. there's a lot of spending uh, on public, a lot of public spending. Should we be worried? Uh, well, I, yeah, I think the direction of travel is is important. Here. I mean, it's still the case that you know France is a far more highly regulated economy, and you know the, the headline rates of tax are a lot higher than in, they are in the UK. But at least they're they're moving in the uh, moving in the right direction. Um, whereas in the UK, I think we're clearly moving in the in the wrong direction. So you know our our, our tax burden is is going up. Um, you know, particularly increases in the you know, national insurance contributions uh, on employers, which are a, you know, a tax on labour. That's a particular problem in, in France. Um, France has had a relatively high national minimum wage for a long time. And, you know, that, that's good for those people that benefit from that, but also tends to mean high levels of unemployment, particularly youth unemployment. So that's a warning to the, uh, to the UK government as well. Um, the French have, have made a pretty good job at trying to attract business from the from the city, uh, you know, during the period of Brexit uncertainty. I mean, they still probably moved far fewer jobs than than they would have liked and far fewer assets. But again, I think it's important that the government and the Chancellor in particular isn't complacent about 
the UK's reputation is a great place to do business because if even France can you know, get its act together and move in the right direction, then I think it's right for uh, UK politicians and officials to recognise that they still need to uh, keep on top of their game as well. I think I'm going to say, you know, what what is the Chancellor doing wrong? And you've 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 touched on that with the you know the national insurance uh, rise and so forth. Do you think there's any lessons we could learn from from the French in 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 dealing with COVID, but also how we you know we rebound ourselves after the pandemic? Mm. Well, I mean, first of all, to, to to be fair to the Chancellor, I think he he's very much aware of these issues. I mean, I, I, I listened to his uh, May's lecture a week or so ago, and then, you know, he made all the right noises, particularly about, you know, entrepreneurship and the importance of, you know, private sector innovation in driving productivity and, and growth. And um, that is something where I think we still do have a significant edge over France and indeed over other European countries. I mean, the, you know, the UK is a is the sort of European sector for things like uh, fintech, and um, you know we're we're the apart from the US, the you know the world leader in in, in so-called unicorns. So these are these you know big companies that aren't yet making any money, but you know the potential uh, growth giants of the of the future. So um, I still think we've we've got a got an edge there, um, and in that sense, I think it's quite helpful to have France so close to watch as an example of of, of things uh, of things not to do. Um, the problem I have here is the sort of big gap, almost a sort of yawning chasm between the uh, the rhetoric coming from this government and the and the reality. So on the one hand, talking about the need for a lower tax burden, on the other hand, raising the tax burden to the uh, to one of the highest on record. And um, I think it, it, it's important that you know the government does get back to those fundamental principles of you know a, a low tax. Um, likely regulated, which doesn't mean no regulation, but sensible regulation, um, and viewing France as a, as a model not to follow, because as I say, yes, you know, France does well in certain circumstances, but at the end of the day, uh, it's an economy where only the most productive people are able to, able to work, unemployment is high, uh, there are lots of rigidities that you know, deter businesses, uh, you know, the tax systems are a mess um, and it's storing up lots of problems for the future because of the poor state of its public finances. So um, I'm, I'm still optimistic, but you know we need to be careful because as I say, if even the French are getting their act together, then uh, we need to make sure that we're not complacent about our own position. Absolutely, and it appears that the uh, the friendly rivalry between England and France continues, but uh, unfortunately that's all we've got time for. Thank you to Julian Jessup, who is Economics Fellow at the Institute of Economic Affairs. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the IA podcast on Podbean, Spotify or Apple. We also upload our podcast on our YouTube channel, IEA London. If you want to help contribute to the IEA's digital output, please support us on Patreon, where you can benefit from exclusive membership perks whilst helping us continue to produce stimulating educational output. To become an online patron, click the link in the show notes.